Hello and welcome to another Waypoint podcast where we provide Torah insights from the weekly Parsha. Uh, this week's Parsha, Vayera, what we find is the Lord comes to commune with Abraham. While this is happening, uh, Hashem also sends three angels to visit Abraham. And uh, my partner here will have some wonderful insights specifically surrounding that passage but moving forward these three angels uh, are all tasked with a particular duty and one of those is to tell abraham that he will be having a son uh, another was to help uh, heal abraham of his wounds it's understood that this would have taken place on the third day which is the most severe day after abraham's circumcision and then the third angel was there to met out judgment on Sodom. Uh, at the end of this, we see Abraham have a conversation with Hashem. He's he's trying to uh, plead on behalf of Sodom, that, that if there are at least so many righteous souls in Sodom, uh, would he spare the city? And ultimately what it boils down to, I find interesting, is if there's at least 10, 10 righteous men in the city, which is the number of a minion, um, would would Hashem spare the city? And, and Hashem agrees that if there were at least a minion's worth of, of righteous men in the city, uh, he would spare it at that point. But however, we know the case is that Lot pretty much was the only one in the city at this point. Uh, so these angels leave. We see them show up in Sodom. Uh, Lot, again, is the only one to be hospitable to them. Uh, there's some... Other interesting happenings that go on there regarding the citizens of Sodom. Uh, and then Sodom is judged and Lot and his family escape, uh, all but his wife. And moving forward from there, we get the story on the descendants of Lot. That's another pretty pretty interesting earthy story there. <laughs> uh, moving on from there, we have the instance of Abraham and Abimelech here where Abraham... Uh, attempts to use the same ruse that he used in Egypt by claiming that Sarah was his wife. Uh, except in this instance, uh, Hashem reached out to Abimelech himself uh, to make sure that uh, no unseemly act happened regarding Sarah. And uh, Sarah was protected in that instance. And uh, Abimelech at this point also attempts to uh, strike up a covenant with Abraham himself for the security of his own descendants. Um, Isaac is also born, and Ishmael and Hagar, uh, they end up leaving and going their own way. And the Parsha culminates with what's called the Akedah, right? the binding of Isaac, uh, where Abraham is fully ready to fulfill his promise to Hashem, uh, to sacrifice his only son, uh, the only son at this point that Hashem had promised him. And he is quickly stopped before the action actually uh, occurs. And Hashem provides a sacrifice uh, at this point. And that is where our Parsha closes. The very last bit is we get a, a, we get a, a brief synopsis 
of the family of Nahor, Abraham's brother, and that will become important for Isaac later on in next week's Parsha. And with that, I will hand it over to my colleague and really, really try and open up for, for what we're going to, to receive here because what he's got prepared is absolutely spectacular and I, I hope it really blesses everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Waypoint, where we go through the weekly Torah portions and check out what kind of insights the Torah has for us this week. We're in Parashat Vayera this week, which is an interesting portion in and of itself. Uh, this is the another portion basically dedicated to uh, Abraham, and uh, my compatriot Bradley has just given you a, a quick rundown, but we're going to take a focus on chapter 18, verse 2, uh, for our insight this week. So follow me there as we uh, open up to that particular verse, 18.2, and uh, my translation re reads as follows. <clears throat> Abraham looked up and he saw that there were three men standing near him. He noticed this, so he ran towards them from the entrance of the tent and prostrated himself on the ground. So a little bit of context, the circumcision has just happened. He's in the middle of healing. Um, and then this is the episode where we have the three men, the, the three angels, presumably. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be gained from uh, how this story continues. But we're going to just focus on this verse for this week. There's actually a lot here. So first and foremost, if you read this verse in Hebrew, there's a little bit of redundancy actually being mentioned here. So in the English, they sort of smooth this over for you by saying, Abraham looked up and he saw that there were three men standing near him. He noticed this. Okay. Well, in Hebrew, he noticed this shows up twice. Uh, and so it's the word vayar. And so the first time it's he, he looked up and he noticed vayar. And then the second time, he noticed this, so he ran towards them, Vayar, and so he runs towards them. This sort of repetition seems a little well, redundant. <laughs> Why even have that? It bothered Rashi, and so Rashi has some comments to make concerning this extra Vayar. What is implied by the repetition of Vayar? The first has its usual meaning, he saw or and he noticed. And the second is an expression of understanding. Rashi goes on to say, he saw that they were standing in one place and understood that they did not wish to bother him. And although they knew that he would go out to meet them, they nevertheless remained standing in the same place out of respect for him to show him that they did not wish to give him any trouble. But he, as Abraham, took the initiative and ran towards them. In Bava Metzia. This is page 86b. It says, at first it is written, they were standing near him. But then it is written, he ran towards them, which is apparently contradictory. Uh, why, why would he, if he was standing near them, there would be no reason to run. <clears throat> However, they first drew near, and when they saw he was untying and tying his bandages, they left him, so immediately he ran towards them. Okay, so... 
a little bit of uh, background, some insight from Rashi there, pulling uh, from uh, a tractate in the Talmud to kind of uh, help us understand maybe what's going on and help the verse sort of make more sense in a context. Um, but what bothers him is not only this repetition, but also the apparent contradiction, which he brings up from the tractate in the Talmud, that they were standing near him already and he ran towards them. So what, what is, what is happening here? What's with all the, what's with all this needless running? It seems, um, now for me, this, when I was reading through this in my own personal studies, all of this running around kind of reminded me of a few other verses and, um, things from other sources that use the word run quite a bit. We actually see this all over the place in uh, rabbinic literature. There's a couple of examples. Uh, is to run from wickedness or flee from wickedness and run to righteousness. You're going to see that in things like Psalm uh, 37, 27, uh, Psalm 34, 14 are two biblical examples. Uh, but we also get this in the Mishnah from uh, Avot, chapter 4, um, 2, uh, little section 2. I have the Mishnah open here for it, and so I will read to you what that says. Ben Azai says, and this is the Mishnah, run to perform even a minor mitzvah. Mitzvah is command um, or a good deed or good work. And flee from doing even a minor sin. Because one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah and one sin leads to another sin. The Mishnah goes on. And because the reward for doing a mitzvah is the opportunity to do another mitzvah. So that's from uh, from Avot. That's a fairly famous chapter in the Mishnah. A lot of uh, a lot of people may be already very familiar with it. If not, I definitely recommend reading the entire tractate Avot. It's very short. It's really not much longer than uh, the Book of James in the New Testament. It's about it has a, some of this uh, some of, some of the, some similar content, in fact. Um, but so what, what, what we see here is, it, once again, I'm reminded of this sort of weird dichotomy, right? We see a, a run from wickedness and a, and a run to righteousness or to perform a mitzvah. <clears throat> and the question would be, wouldn't doing one sort of also imply doing the other? And the Tanya actually has the very same question in the opening sentence of the first chapter, uh, where the Tanya tries to expound uh, and, and explain a weird section of uh, uh, Talmud that talks about when a uh, before a soul is born, he is made to take a vow not to be a rasha or an evil person and to be a tzaddik or a righteous person. So don't be a wicked person, be a righteous person. And again, one would think, well, if you're not one, you're sort of the other, right? At least at some capacity. And, and this is all very much based on an understanding when it comes to Torah itself. Positive and negative commandments. Right? So to turn away from evil is to not do the things that you're not supposed to do. Right? Uh, don't murder. Don't steal. Things like that. These are things that you do not do. You turn away from these. You flee from these. But that doesn't necessarily mean you are also running to righteousness, the things that you are supposed to do that sort of set you above and beyond uh, the rest of the world who's just sort of doing what they're not supposed to do. And that would be the run to good, uh, like we talked about from, 
from the two Psalms I mentioned earlier. And this is very much in line with the way that the Torah commandments are viewed in rabbinic literature. You have positive commandments and negative commandments. The negative commandments are the do nots, and the positive commandments are the do. These are the things that you are commanded to do. That's why they're called positive commandments. It really has nothing to do with whether or not they are a good or a bad commandment. It's positive and negative as in do not and do. So, <clears throat> turn away from evil and do good. Another tractate in the Talmud tells us in Berachot 5a, there is no other good than Torah. Right, so easily one could say that, you know, to do the uh, commandments that are written in the Torah is the good that you should be running towards. Sure, fair enough, but there's there's certainly got to be more to this whole story, and trust me when I say there is. So let's talk about it. Abraham, this story is, is written and recorded about him, <clears throat> and this is one of those shining examples of why Abraham is the the father of our faith. And he's really the perfect example after which we should emulate our own lives. Is, uh, once again, we go back to Rashi's explanation here. These men were really not wanting to bother him, but he ran out to help them anyway. And this is a difference between what would be a tzedakah or an act of charity and chesed, or loving kindness. Chesed is, is where we get the, the word chasid, uh, which is the noun version, uh, like a personal noun, so a, a, like a chasid, like Hasidic Judaism, uh, by the way, chasids. So this is the difference between tzedakah, charity, or a tzaddik, a righteous person, and a chesed, loving kindness, and a chasid, a person uh, who, who emulates this sort of loving kindness. The reason it's important is this is where Noah failed. According to some opinions, um, and you'll read some commentaries, that Noah was a righteous person. He was a tzaddik. He was perfect for his generation. And that's not to belittle him in any way. That's not to say, well, in his, if he were in any other generation, um, he would have been basically a bad person. That's not what that's meant to say. But in his generation, he was a perfect, he was a tzaddik, he was perfect. He walked before God perfectly. It's, it says that in the Torah. That's the words that it uses, is perfect. But Noah failed in that he could have stopped the flood from happening, but he was not able to, or rather, he just didn't. Uh, and that's why we call it Noah's flood today. As essentially, the opinions is... Um, Noah made sure that he did everything that he was not supposed to do. Like he, 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 he didn't do the things he wasn't supposed to do. He was a tzaddik. He was, he was righteous. He was perfect in his generation. He didn't break any, any commandments, mitzvahs, laws, what have you. Um, but he quietly essentially made the ark. He did exactly as he was told. He never went above and beyond. And he could have, the implication is that he could have stopped the flood by reaching out to others and, 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 and preventing it from happening um, by spreading uh, goodliness or godliness to the rest of the world. But he didn't, and he sort of did exactly as he was told, and he received all the credit for it. I'm not downplaying Noah at all here, um, but this is his sort of shortcoming. This is why Noah is not the father of our faith. Abraham is. Uh, so once again, if, if I want to go back to 
the the two words I'm talking about, tzedakah or charity, and chesed, loving kindness. And this is the difference. Tzedakah is well, it's charity. It's you see a need, and so you go and you provide for that need, and it's a great thing. This is a good thing. It's a mitzvah, in fact, to provide to do charity. But chesed is a little different. It's it's loving kindness, but it's not based on a need. You see, charity is you see a need, and so you're sort of reacting in a way. But chesed, loving kindness, is very unconditional. It is not the reaction. Chesed is a forward action. It is taking initiative. It's looking for those opportunities to do something, even when there's not necessarily a need to be addressed which is what we see Abraham doing. There's not exactly a need being addressed here with these three men who are passing by. Uh, we, we see no indication that they were in absolute need for something. And in fact, the way that the commentary seems to put it is that they made sure that they were standing close enough that they could see him, but they, they weren't approaching him. They weren't trying to bother him uh, because they saw that he was tying and untying his bandages, presumably because he had just gone through his circumcision. Uh, and so they didn't really want to bother him. It's it it very much sort of just a, you know, hey, he's, he's, we're going to leave him alone. Um, and he ran out, ran out anyway to meet with them just to have that opportunity to do a mitzvah unconditionally with no strings attached. There's no, I see a need and I'm dressing it. I'm addressing it. There's, I'm doing something out of love, just unconditional love, no strings attached. And it's not even in response to a particular need. I just want to serve somebody, uh, and in particular, these men. So that, that's really the, the key difference between tzedakah and chesed. And so Noah was a tzaddik. He did exactly as he was supposed to do. But Avraham is a, is a chesed. He loves unconditionally. He, he doesn't need a reason. He doesn't need to react to to offer his love or his service or his, his acts of kindness to somebody. He just wants to pass it to the whole world. Anyone that comes even within earshot of him or eye shot, I guess, in this, in this particular example, just to have the opportunity to run and perform mitzvahs, just like Avot 4.2 says. So Noah was not a chassid and that's sort of his failure. That's why we have a flood named after him. The, the, there are opinions that state that if Noah had been a little bit more like Avraham, then the flood would have not needed to happen. But it did, unfortunately. So that's that's the key. Avraham ran towards opportunity to love people unconditionally and not, not to just address a need in a sort of reactive sense. But even two people, he would run two people who did not necessarily have a need. And I actually want to focus on that too, because that's, again, part of this unconditional loving kindness that Abraham had, that he possessed, that makes him such a great person. That's why we have so much time dedicated to Abraham in the Torah, because he really is a man of just loving kindness, of, of chesed. Because he would offer his services to people who didn't have a need, who had no need whatsoever. And that's the thing about unconditional love is it is without condition. He did not simply say to himself, well, he's a rich person. He's, he's doing well off for himself. He doesn't need me. You know, he'll take care of himself. Um, I'm going to go and look for somebody who needs my services more. 
no, he, he always ran towards the opportunity to provide and do something for anybody, regardless of their status, their stature, uh, their particular uh, class that they happen to be living within. And this brings me to my final point. People who don't necessarily have a need still need to see what God's unconditional love looks like. No strings attached. And we often think that rich people don't really need charity, and, they, and often they do not. Um, but they still need to see unconditional love. And somebody who is usually really well off is not used to being provided for or just being served in such a way that does not have strings attached. Many wealthy people are used to their friends doing something nice for them because they know that they're going to call in that favor at a later date. And that's not unconditional love. But Avraham, he would do that thing. He would love unconditionally, even the person who doesn't need. He would he would be the one to tell this particularly wealthy person, this is no strings attached. This is just what God's unconditional love looks like. Just, just say thank you and take it. And that's the exceptional personality that Avraham had. That's that's why he is the father of our faith. That's that's why he earned the promises that were given to him which would eventually bloom into many, many nations, which he would be the father of. He would earn that honor of being exactly that. And as the father of our faith and the father of many nations, he sets the example for us by which we should live by for those of us who are in the many nations, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. That level of chassid, chesed, is, is something that we should really strive to do. We should be running to look for opportunities to do a mitzvah for the sake of doing a mitzvah. Uh, once again, the, the Avot, uh, chapter 4, 2, the reward for doing a mitzvah is the opportunity to do another mitzvah. The reward, once again, going back to this unconditional love, you don't just do it so that you could get, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings from it. Um, or that you hope to be monetarily reimbursed for your efforts, or that you hope to be blessed in some uh, grandiose way, your motivation should simply be, I want to do good things. I want to do acts of unconditional loving kindness for others so that I will be hopefully given another opportunity to do it again and to serve my God by serving all of his people in the world, just like Abraham did, to love people so much that he would be willing to bargain with God to try and save a bunch of strangers whom he'd never met in a city full of all sorts of debaucheries. To, to be the kind of person that loves people that much, to even try and stick your neck out for anybody, unconditionally, doesn't matter. And so I think that's our takeaway for uh, today's lesson. Um, I hope I hope it has blessed you as it has blessed me. I actually really enjoyed doing the study for this one. It led me down a lot of... Uh, uh, interesting rabbit holes. And so um, once again, thank you very much for joining us on the Waypoint podcast, and we will see you guys next week. Shalom. Welcome back. Told you it would be spectacular, and uh, it definitely was. I, I enjoyed hearing it a second time. We always go over what we're gonna what we're gonna do before we do any recording. and uh, the second time it was even better. Um, some final thoughts. Uh, on the Haftarah portion, which this week was Second Kings chapter four, one through thirty-seven. Uh, to summarize very quickly, 
the prophet Elisha helps a woman whose husband has passed and she's destitute, uh, helps her gather some things she can sell in order to keep her home. Then in his travels, he passes by a woman's house that he stops at regularly for a meal. And this woman, recognizing that he makes regular stops here uh, for a meal, decided to take it on herself to prepare a room for him to stay in, to show that same kind of, of loving kindness. And the same way that Abraham was blessed with a son in this, this uh, Parsha, this woman was also blessed with a son for her acts of loving kindness. So we, we see a number of parallels between the Haftarah this week and uh, the Parsha, but that one I think stood out the most respective to the content of the lesson. And so something we should note about that is that, yes, uh, we should always be looking for opportunities to show some chesed, uh, but it's not going to come without blessing. Now, you shouldn't be expecting the blessing, but uh, it it does come with blessing, and that is why it's a good thing to do uh, for not just you, but for everybody else. Uh, charity in particular is considered one of the most righteous of deeds you can do because multiple people are affected by that. Um, and you'll never know the, the chain of sequences that one act of charity might do. You never know what that person will do with the charity you give them. So in closing, um, just to further lay on to what Seamus said, these are opportunities we should be actively seeking out. And with that, we'll close out. Hope you've enjoyed this week. Shalom. Special thanks to this month's Patreon supporters. 